Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea, talk shit about everyone else. But most recently, we've just kept talking shit about Chelsea and our situation and the shithole we're in. But before we get back into this endless pit of negativity, I think it's only fair that I introduce my host today, Zach. How are you, man? I'm the perfect person to introduce after um, the word negativity. I feel like those me and the word negativity are just synonymous with one another across this whole season. I'm okay, man. Um, Chelsea sucks. LeBron just got injured, so now the Lakers suck again. We were but good F1 for like one is around the week, around the corner, man. We get to at least uh, watch some cars go around a, a track and forget about our football woes. Yeah, but if we recall last year, Ferrari had a good start, and then we all remember what happened. So I don't know if I'm necessarily looking forward to the F1 season either. <laughs> I mean, everything just kind of everything kind of blows in the sports world for me. But uh, no when, complaints. When it rains, of that. when it rains and it pours, and uh, yeah, I think that's the theme of this season for us. We went into the weekend expecting to see some things change maybe not in the manager front because we know we're stuck as of right now everything points to that but at least we were expecting to see a bounce back we discussed that Southampton might have been the bottom of the barrel rock bottom but we were wrong because we lost to Spurs 2-0 it is the first time that we've lost at the new White Hart Lane and honestly, we haven't lost to Spurs since Sack saw Chelsea lose to Spurs many, many years ago. God. That's where we so, are, huh? Yeah, Zach. Sorry to bring you in full circle here, but yeah, this game, honestly, we're not going to get into the X's and O's because as we've mentioned previously, we lied to ourselves about any X's and O's being out there. So... The way that we are going to talk about this, we'll talk about the things that we can see. And we'll start with the simple one. We'll talk about the selection and how Potter handled not just the starting lineup and and the subs. So we started with a 4-2-3-1, probably what we all expected. Kepa and goal, Reese James at right back, Thiago Silva partnered with Koulibaly in the middle, Chilwell left back, double pivot of Enzo and RLC. Uh, From left to right in the attacking mid positions, we had Ziyech, Felix, and Sterling with Kai up top. So before we get into the in-game management, Zach, we have to complain a little bit about this 11, don't we? Yeah, man. Frustration's not the right word. Pick pick just one. Let's start with just one name. Pick one name, I'll let you start, and then I'll go from there. Team Ziyech. Team Ziyech. The guy was what? 20 seconds away from joining PSG, like 15 or 20 seconds late. Um, Three error er, er, er clicks away from the right email being sent out. He was literally in Paris, in PSG's facilities, getting ready for a medical. So why in a match against Tottenham, which is, I don't care what season or what the circumstances are, is a must win. Why is Ziyech playing if his heart's in Paris? And, and and here's the thing. I'm not mad at Ziyech because he wanted out. 
they negotiated a deal and he wasn't the one that fucked it up. So I don't blame him for having not having his heart in it. I don't blame him for playing like shit necessarily. Why the fuck is he getting picked in a game like this? Why the fuck did we go out and spend 100 million on Mudrik, 30 million on Madueke, you know, another 15 or 20 million on Fofana? You you spent all this money on these attacking players, yet you continue to play the guy that doesn't want to be here. And then you're surprised when he doesn't perform. Yeah. And, and don't even get me started on the fact that he actually started the second half as well. I mean, that's just yeah. We'll, we'll other... get and we'll get to that part um, because that's where the subs and all that come in. But to double down, I mean, you could have if the argument was that Ziyech was still balling out. Sure, whatever you have to play the informed guys because we're not winning. But that's not the case. And if you see the the passing charts, he was invisible. Besides, almost getting himself a red card at the end of the half. Um, I mean, what what was the tactical idea of playing a guy like Ziyech against a team like Spurs? You know they're going to have a deep two deep blocks. They're going to sit deep and try to hit us on the counter, which is exactly what they did in, to a certain extent. Ziyech does not play in behind. And, and not so just it, it, stylistically, it doesn't even make sense. And even further than that, right now, Reese James is not the bombing forward Reese James we love to see. Like, he's still trying to get his footing right, and, and it's mental. He's not going all the way up and doing the overlaps every single time. So, even more of a reason to not play Ziyech, who is very static as a player. He's not going to make mm-hmm. the runs forward, he's going to wait, get the ball to feet. Hope Reese James makes an overlap to let him have space to do the one thing he does, go to his left foot. And obviously that's not happening right now. So, yeah, that one definitely is a head scratcher. But the one that really, really pissed me off is Koulibaly at center back. I don't understand what happened here. Did No news have come out about Body Shield being injured. And... Mm-hmm. I think I've spoken now that it's three matches in a row where Koulibaly's presence makes everyone around him shitty. And I think it's actually the second match in a row. The first time it was when he was partnered with Badia Shield, And in the moment he came off, Ofana came on, the defense looked decent again. And in this match, the biggest uh, player affected was Chilwell. This was Chilwell's worst match uh, so far since his return. Yeah, and I put it down to the fact that I think Koulibaly right now is just awful. You talk about another guy who, you know, mistake has been acknowledged that he probably wasn't a signing that we should have made. His level of play hasn't shown me that we should continue to play him, especially when we're so far down the table. You put him in the Champions League matches because you just simply can't put body a shield. That's the only time I should see Koulibaly's name in a starting 11. and. We paid the price. I mean, it was unorganized the moment Silva went off. And, and we'll go back to what happened to Silva in a little bit. But Koulibaly was the big, the big one for me here. I mean, yeah, it, it, it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit. Because, like, what did Badia Shield do wrong? And is Potter thinking, okay, well, you know, they had that nice little run of form with him and Thiago Silva. I think it was, like, what, three clean sheets on the spin? Mm-hmm. And we looked really solid back there. They seemed like they were having a, a developing a great partnership. And then all of a sudden, we concede a goal against Dortmund, and then we don't see 
uh, and Body of Shield's not even in that team. For, he can't even all. be in that team, right? He can't even be in that team. And then he gets dropped again. And it, it just, I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what he's done wrong. I don't know if Graham Potter is looking at it and being like, okay, well, uh, I'll just try another pairing and see if we could string together more clean sheets. That doesn't work that way. You have to have continuity. You have to have consistency. You have to let these guys make mistakes with each other so they could learn how to communicate and not make those same mistakes again. If you keep chopping and changing the back four, and I preach this, I've been preaching this since this fucking podcast even started, Andres, because I remember, like, I played center back for, for, for much of my time playing soccer. And granted, I wasn't the, a great player by any stretch of the imagination, but I fucking hated it when my coach would replace the right back or the left back playing on either side of me. And every single game I'd be playing with somebody different. And it's hard to form that type of chemistry. And it's hard to play with people with different attributes and different playing styles and whatnot. So, and, and that even goes for replacing your center back partner, which is even more important that you have continuity with. So if any of those guys change around me, my game is, is directly impacted because of that. And I feel like what you're saying with Koulibaly makes total sense. And it's something I've experienced personally on a, you know, a way, way bottom level compared to these guys but the point remaining you have to have consistency with your selection especially in the back four because if, if you're planning on building a team or building a solid spine it, i don't care who you are it starts from the back and works its way up so if you can have a solid base where you have a, a, a let's call it a back five including the goalkeeper that's a consistent selection week in and week out you know who those back five are going to be unless there's some sort of rotation or multiple games in a week then you can start picking up results like we saw, and then you can start building the midfield. And then you figure the midfield out, then you start figuring the, the front line out. And, and for me, Potter's just completely handicapping himself by chopping and changing everything. And, and here's the thing now, because now you have three matches in a row. Mm -hmm. And in three matches that Koulibaly starts, we've lost three matches. Lost. No more clean sheets. It's just straight up losses and it's not sorry, on him though granted. it's not it's not on him but it like you said it starts there mm -hmm. the guys around you like we know at the end of the day keppa is performing but we know he's not a legendary keeper that's going to save your ass so he needs to be confident in the guys in front of him to protect him then mm -hmm. like again i get that in Southampton, it was a, a prevention thing to, to rest Silva. Great. That's fine. Dortmund, you can't choose body of shield. That's fine. Both times, now we've seen Fofana come in twice and played well immediately. So there is no more excuses. You are not going to play Koulibaly into form. Koulibaly is not the present nor the future of this club. We are slowly creeping into a relegation battle it is not time to, to, to experiment with what was working because that was the one saving grace of of 2023 the defense mm -hmm. was was solid until lo and behold Koulibaly made it back into the back four like again he individually did not make the mistakes leading up to these things but where there's smoke there's fire like, people get antsy like I, I, again, from experience, your first touch is impacted by it. Your decision-making is impacted by it. You start to second-guess yourself when you're going up for a second ball or a first ball. Man-marking even becomes an issue. I mean, the, it goes down 
the very basics of the game get impacted if you have somebody next to you that's either not confident or is just not up for it. And right. I mean, Koulibaly, I feel like he, he's not up for it. Again, talking Chilwell here, looked completely out of place. There was moments where Koulibaly, not left-footed, chose to just blast it away instead of looking for Chilwell while Body Shield has been very calm passing it towards his left. Mm-hmm. To reverse it into when it's Koulibaly and not Silva, when you have a guy like Thiago Silva who is just a vocal leader on the pitch and the man made David's, David Luiz in his most erratic time look like one of the greatest center backs tactically of all time. This dude knows how to organize a back line. You take him mm-hmm. away, now the young guy looks poor. You take away the seasoned vet in Koulibaly in the second half, and now suddenly Fofana and Badia Shield are, are chilling again, like everything's good. Again, I think there's just too many red flags right now about the the non the the in, the intangibles of what his presence does to the to the back line. Because again, Koulibaly hasn't fallen over, he hasn't fouled somebody that's led to to a penalty or or anything like that. But those around him, directly around him, by the way, continue to drop severely in his mm-hmm. presence. Yeah, and, and getting the ball to our midfield is even impacted by it, too. I notice when Fofana comes on, he has such a willingness to play the ball forward and look for the progressive or pass. Or dribble, or dribble yeah. himself yeah. Yeah. until he, the he pass also, arrives. I love it when a center back dribbles the ball across the halfway line to advance it instead of you know just playing a pointless pass because he's going to wind up getting the ball back anyways. It's like, here, I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll dribble the ball into the midfield, and I'm going to du- I'm gonna double dare them to step out on me. And once they do, he has the ability Someone's to pick out open. the right yeah. pass. Exactly. Exactly. So last, lastly, uh, we're not going to get too into it. RLC, probably not the right choice here. If Zakari is able to come in, maybe you should have mm-hmm. started him. And then as much as we want to complain about his goal scoring, it is what it is. Kai Havertz is, uh, is going to start for some reason. At this point, mute, moot point. We've... Potter showed at least initiative of dropping Mount, uh, who was out of form. But for some reason, Kai's going to start. And we have ran out of reasons not to start him, but he's still there. Um, Now I want to talk real quick about what happens in-game in terms of the decisions made by the manager. Uh, Fofana coming in in the 19th minute for Silva, it was needed. There's nothing to say there. That's Mm -hmm. the only sub that makes complete sense. From there is where things go south quickly. 45 minutes comes. It is clear and obvious that subs need to happen at halftime. We need to win the midfield battle. We need to eliminate, completely take off Ziyech, who has been not present whatsoever. Yellow carded as well. Yellow carded to end because he was getting feisty. almost got a red card. VAR for once got the decision right and pulled the red card because we could have easily been down to 10 man. Mm. And... Yeah, at that, at that point, it's it's donezo. And here's the thing that gets even crazier. Second half starts, and lo and behold, we come out like shit per usual. Oliver fucking Skip, who I even forgot was still part of this team, scores. His first ever goal for Spurs. First verse, right. And and honestly, I don't even want to waste my time debating whether Kepa could have saved it, whether blah, 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 no, blah. Who cares? Who cares? We were asleep. We were that's asleep. To, to be fair, that's the wrong debate to have. I think where's the midfield closing out their players? Right. Why is Joao right, Felix right, right. giving the ball away that easily? Uh, 
Chilwell also was bad. Like I said, it was a yeah. lot of things that went wrong to lead to the final point, which was the goal. The goal happens, and he decides to keep whatever is happening till the 67, 62nd minute. And now we're thinking, okay, we are down a goal. We need a chase, right? We're chasing. We need attack. We need to be direct. And he brings on Zakaria for RLC. So he goes even more regressive in midfield by bringing someone that's even more of a defensive presence than an offensive one in Zakaria. Because RLC at least gets into the opponent's boxes once in a blue moon. And then you take off Ziyech, who is playing in the touchline, you know, winger, and you bring on Mason Mount. So... You, you're down a goal and you bring on a DM. And then you bring in, you take out an out-of-form player for another out-of-form player. And you think, yeah, this is, this is what I need to do to score a goal. What? He doesn't bring what on pace. World? He doesn't bring on Madueke, who's been really good on the right side. He's been our or most Mudrick. dangerous right-sided attacker since the World Cup. And he hasn't got a playing time. He hasn't brought on Mudrik, who, if you want to bring on pace... He's the fastest guy in the Premier League, statistically. Yet, yeah. you, you take him off the bench with nine minutes to go. And, and oh, also, let's not forget about the fact that we have an elite goal scorer, an elite career goal scorer in Aubameyang, who supposedly has been training really well and being right. very professional behind the scenes and is definitely a part of the club's plans because we didn't let him go anywhere this, this January. And all of these signs are pointing that Obama Yang is going to be a, a player role for some reason, yet he only gets the last nine minutes of the match. Give him the last 20. Give him the last 25. If he's playing center forward, you know he's only going to touch the ball 10 or 15 times in those 20 minutes. So you need to get him into a rhythm. The guy's been basically sidelined for three or four months now, has hardly played a minute, and you're going to bring him on for nine minutes and try to chase a game? And that's like, and, and, and we were just, down two nil at, at that point, I believe. We're down two nil, not just to anybody, Andres, but I want this to be very well known. This was an awful Spurs team. By no stretch of the imagination does this Spurs team beat any of the Chelsea teams in recent memories past. They were awful. They barely yeah. did enough to beat us. The Spurs fans were fucking beating us two nil, and they were quiet. They I weren't believe... even happy with their team's performance. No, let's let's. Call a spade a spade. The, the, if we, because we love getting into the nitty gritty here, it's 0.8 xg to 0.4. Like neither team was Both stellar teams today. Up the place. But yeah. but to go back to the substitutions, right? If you bring on mm -hmm. Zakaria, I expect the other sub to be an extra man in the attack, uh, like a like a full blown. Like a uh, Give me Obama Yang. Obama Yang. Hi yeah. Obama Yang, and then you have. A 4, four, four two, 2 maybe, which we had seen at the beginning of Potter's time mm -hmm. with Felix and Sterling. Because, again, Felix and Sterling, killing it. The only two guys that were in the attack at any lively. I, I'm, I'm going to disagree on this on the Felix front. I thought he was Okay, awful. fine. That's fine. But Sterling, we can agree. Yeah. Sterling, Sterling since his good. return has been good. Mm -hmm. And... And then here's the thing. You, you at least have two bodies at the receiving end of your of your creative players. Mm -hmm. But instead, you take off an attacking presence and then you take off and you make... So now you're going two backward steps because then we move to a 4-3-3. And it's a 4-3-3 where 
Zakaria hasn't played as the deepest player for us yet. And Mason Mount has been awful and was awful again as an eight recently in a three-man midfield. What did he do the moment he came on? He was getting into Felix's space like we've been complaining about, like he did with Mudrik in Mudrik's first start when we when we played a 4-3-3. You see a center mid so willingly leaving the center of the pitch for runs beyond the defensive line when we haven't even gotten the ball that far up the pitch. So, again, what is the train of thought here from the manager? You said it. Bringing Aubameyang in when we're two goals down, what's that going to do? It's an insult to the player, It's in my opinion. Especially... Why why bring them on at all? Yeah, exactly. Why? What what Mm -hmm. is eight minutes of of nothing going to help Mudrik, who hasn't been able to do much? To be honest, you're better off telling Fofana or, or Koulibaly just go play up top for the last 10 minutes and see if we can nick a goal. No, I mean, I know for some reason Dacho Fofana wasn't on the, on the lineup and that wasn't really Which is, mentioned. But like... That's another thing, man. <laughs> it, it keeps getting worse, doesn't it? I mean, I, mean, I don't know if he was decent- hurt. I don't know what's going on, but... Why keep him in January? Why insist on keeping the guy? He's not even going to be in the match day squad two games from then. It, yeah. It's fucking bananas. And that's that's besides the point. I preached this to death last pod. I thought he was decent against Southampton. Granted, he wasn't great. He's extremely raw. He has a lot of things to work on. But guess what? He showed us more in his first three touches than Kai Havertz has showed us all fucking season. So, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. None of these selections I... really make sense to me. If the, you're gonna, the coaching if, decisions were awful. Yeah, and 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 if I could say anything to Graham, if I can ask him any question, my question would be, why do you continue to play the players that just simply don't give a shit or don't want to be here? If you're really here for the long term and you're really going to be the project manager, play the guys that you know are going to be here for your project. Common sense. Guys like Ziyech, guys like Kai. Guys like Lutz, I mean, guys like in, Koulibaly. In, in that argument, then you're never going to see Obama Yang either. No, no, no. Listen, I get that, but he's playing guys that don't want to be here anyways. And the best player out of the whole bunch that don't want to be here isn't even playing. <laughs> that, that's the crazy part. He seems yeah. to be playing everybody else except the one guy that can get us a goal. Right. That I I don't know if I'd say best, but at least has the right profile, right? Like a guy that's gonna be in the box and be in the danger zone. Like one touch from yeah. Obamaing might get us a goal. I'm not thinking of again, I don't think Obamaing is like Erling Holland, but he'll be in the right place, right? Like I mean, he's look, just gonna wait. Look at Danny Ings for uh, Aston Villa this weekend. I don't know if you caught the game, Andres, but like he nicked two yeah, he feisty, scrappy ass center forward goals that I haven't seen a Chelsea player do since 2016. And and, at the, and also, like, I don't get the point anymore. I, I don't see what Kai dropping deep is even doing tactically. Like, again, tactics are out the window. Like we've said, we haven't seen anything. But then I know it's a huge issue for you when he vacates the, the, spa- the, the central space in the final third. For me, it's an even bigger issue that he's not even – 
it, centrally when we're trying to build out of the back. Like Kai Havertz should be nowhere looking for a five-yard pass from the back four. Mm-hmm. Yet you see it time and time again. And then not only do you see it time and time again, he loses the ball anytime he tries to turn. So what's the point of even doing that run if you can't even have the confidence to dribble? He looks like a freaking baby giraffe at times. It's just, I'd rather have an Obama Yang up top that touches the ball seven times at inside the box total for nine, 90 minutes than Kai accumulating touches randomly. And then when, let's say he does give a pass to Reese James or Chilwell and then they break through, there's nobody in the middle to receive. It just... I saw I a, um, I, I sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I, I was going to mention, I saw a, I can't remember who it was, but I saw a poll on Twitter this weekend. It was two separate polls. It said, who would you rather see starting for Chelsea football club, Kai Havertz or Aubameyang? And it was overwhelming majority was voted for Aubameyang. And then the next question was, who would you rather have starting for Chelsea football club, Aubameyang or yeah. Fofana? And Fofana overwhelmingly beat Aubameyang. So that doesn't mean that, Kai Havertz is second in rotation. Kai Havertz, in Chelsea fans' mind, is the last choice center forward. Yeah. That's pretty fucking damning. And and I'm going to be honest, Potter's playing a dangerous game, man. Because it, it, it it's one thing to sort of like stick to your guns and say, listen, these are my guys, I'm going to ride or die for them, right? But it's another thing to know that the fans are completely against that particular player playing and you yeah. continuing to select him. It, it, it's it's very naive of the manager to do that, especially in this in a toxic environment where he is now, where the fans are just completely not happy with him. And and I'm not talking about those dumb fucks that were sending him death threats. They could all go rotten hell. I'm talking about the regular fans like us that criticize the on-field product, not the personal life. And for those fans, if you want to win them over, you have to start making the right decisions and maybe play one or two of the guys that we've been clamoring for. <laughs> Lewis Hall's been decent. What happened with Lewis Hall? Dr. Fofana was decent. What happened with Fofana? What happened with Madueke looking decent in the league? Absolutely nothing. Zakaria's been healthy for God knows how long. When he came on, when he made his first two or three appearances for us, he almost looked like a revelation. We haven't even him since, and he's been healthy for a while now. Guys like Mateo no, Kovacic. Hurt. I mean, no, no. I, I know he's gotten hurt, but he's been available for the last two or three matches. So... Why not play him? If you're really looking on mixing things up, like it just it doesn't it, it makes no sense. And then that's and that's a uh, 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 a side argument and continuously playing these guys, you're ruining them as players. Joao Felix looks like half the player he was when he came from Atletico. Enzo Fernandez was awful. Against Spurs, there's no other way around it. He's yeah, regressing. Right. Guys like Raheem Sterling. Sterling came to Chelsea. He came to Chelsea because he wanted to play for Tommy Tuchel, not for Graham Potter. Nobody's signing for Chelsea to play for Graham Potter, and that's my point. Reese James and Chilwell shadow of themselves. Granted, they're both coming back from long-term injuries. I'm willing to bet my house on it that Koulibaly is not this bad. He was so good under Tuchel when he first came in. Like. All of these different players that have just kind of come in and they show us a flash of just their raw skill. And they look great. Mudrick against Liverpool. Perfect example. Since then, he's completely regressed as a footballer. Graham Potter's the only manager that hasn't gotten a tune out of Mason Mount. I don't find any of those things 
a coincidence. Like it, it's it. These aren't coincidences, and it's just oh, all the, the, the all these things are just happening at the same time. It's no. This is a, a yeah. consequence of having somebody who is as charismatic as a as as a, as a fucking barn door. He, he the guy has no charisma to his game. He has no ability to jeer these players up. He has no ability to recognize what their strengths are and put them in positions where they could be maximized on the pitch. And he also has no idea how to get any results. He just he's completely out of his depth. But going back to my main point, I'm curious to see what you think about it. The player regression is a serious issue for me. Like yeah, that's and, the uh, long-term consequence of keeping him around. And and it's probably a good time to mention that we we did get a first-time question in in this in the subject. It was from uh, at Arellano Saul, and he's basically mirroring what you're saying. He says, "I wouldn't mind a tough loss or seeing progress each game, but we're regressing at an alarming rate." Is it players not responding to Potter? Is it Potter? Is it the players? Do they need more time? So basically, why are we regressing? And look, I don't think anybody is blameless here. I don't think Potter is is good at lighting a fire in these players is sort of like, you know, the pre-match discussion or the halftime talks. I don't think that's his strength. Um, in terms of regressions, I think Koulibaly is just not a tactical fit because, again, I don't think Koulibaly's ever going to press the way that our team has been pressing recently and successfully pressing. Again, our defensive numbers until he was on the pitch have been good. Mount has been trash, period. He was bad with Tuchel at the beginning of the season. I don't want to put, like, his contract situation is really, honestly, I think what's doing his head in. Now, in terms of the attack, I think Potter needs to realize that playing Kai at the nine is what's hurting everybody else. Simple. Because he's not there for guys, like you said, Mudrik to build off of. He's not there for someone like Madueke to build off of because the man is in the corner rather than being in the middle as a focal point for them to pass off of or at least to target him with a pass. There's just nobody there. So there's no passing lanes. There's no potential runoffs because there's just a dude. The dude's nowhere near where he should be. And I think that's where Potter needs to really take the blame. The, the playing a non-nine at the nine bullshit and now your attacking players look like ass it's not um, a coincidence but, but again i don't think like are the players not responding to potter i don't think potter is is the, the, the big speech guy but then you have reese james coming out and saying no we support the manager like i we believe in him we believe what he does in training then you have enzo who just got here he's the big money guy he has no reason to come out and, and praise the manager when he hasn't even been here for that long, he's doing it too. Like if Reese James says it, I see the the like, oh well, Reese James is right now kind of like the poster boy. So like everything is gonna go through him because our owners are are too big of a puss like pussies to speak up. But Enzo doesn't like he has zero allegiance to the manager right now. He just signed a hundred twenty for 120 million. He's gonna be here regardless of who that guy is. And he's and he also this week said, "Hey, it's on us too." So, I think the regression comes initially from Potter's selection. I'm, I'm going to put that on him. The selection mm-hmm. we are. I was going to use Thiago Silva as a con. We are lacking any player with a spine in our team across the 33 fucking players that are here. There is one guy right now that can go and have the worst game of his life and somehow look like he's still trying 
by minute 90. And that's Tiago yeah. Silva. Tiago Silva leaves this match in the 19th minute. And after the 19th minute, it was game. Curtains. Any sort of fight, any sort of organization, any sort of calm when we don't have the ball was gone. So, number one, are the players not responding to Potter? I think right now there's nothing to respond to because everyone's shit. Is it Potter? I think, yes, Potter needs to blame himself. Is it the players? Yes, I think the players need to blame themselves. Do they need more time? No, I don't think it's a time thing at this point. I think timing was bad, and now there's no fixing it. There's, it's mm-hmm. not Potter's going to fix it. The players and the ownership are going to outlast the manager 10 times out of 10. So for me, it's unfortunate because the only thing that can fix this is we go out, beat leads, and this young, soft group of players can then suddenly think that they're big dicks again. And yeah. sorry for using such crude language. I'm, I'm angry. Locker room talk comes out. But the point is we have a bunch of young players who are now being told you're the present in the future. And some of those guys, oh, we're Champions League winners. Now we're not winning. Oh, maybe we suck. They've only seen the good. They've only been mm-hmm. told how good they're going to be. And now when it's tough, folded. Thiago Silva, only guy out there. Aspie, not a vocal dude. So I don't put him there. Kovacic, not a vocal dude. I don't put him in that, in that category either. And honestly, I think Kovacic should be added to the list of players that folded when Tuchel got taken out of the equation. I think, I think a lot of the players, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that a lot of the players are just kind of waiting for him to get the sack at this point. I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know if they're waiting for him to get the sack. I think how, many, how many times have we seen the same exact group of players fold okay. weeks before guys, a manager gets sacked? I understand that. And I also think that the guys, like, why wasn't Kovacic chosen today? Maybe it's now like, okay, he's not playing well ever since. Like, he's not playing well, period. He hasn't played well for Chelsea in a long time. Don't he hasn't play. played well since the semifinal of the World Cup. And again, that wasn't at Chelsea. Yeah. So he's, he's weeded out. Why Madueke didn't play today in this match? No clue. I'm hoping this is the final it. straw there. Yeah. Pull that out. Uh, Koulibaly, I think this was really his last straw. We won't see him, hopefully. So, like... The only thing that time can can fix is that the closer we get to relegation, these guys won't have an option but to fight. I don't That's, think it's a matter of getting even closer but, to relegation. But Zach, it's, here's the thing. We are still at 31 points, and I believe that not even 30, 31 points. I, th- I think that's right. And out of those 31 points, I believe that – Thomas Tuchel accumulated 35% 12, of them. 12, 10 points. 10, oh, 10, 10 of the so. 10 points in six matches. I, I read today that so, it's 35% of our total points. And he something was like that. And, and, at the, and also a few weeks ago, we were single digit points from the top four. Now it's like out of the picture. So yeah. the only thing I think at this point that can happen is that these players realize like the bottom is closer than the top, period. Because the it literally needs to be like the the seas part god comes down from the skies and gives them a moment of clarity and it has to be a moment of clarity that isn't just like a a bogus bounce it has to be like 
holy shit, everything clicked in one game and holy shit, we won two in a row for anything to change. And even then, I don't think that saves the manager. Mm-hmm. I think that just saves the player's own sort of belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, it's not a matter of time. I think it's a matter of realizing that we have a bunch of babies that we need to nurture to generalize it. So, Very talented babies, babies that are learning to talk at three months of age. However you want to metaphor, put the metaphor there. But I think, sadly, the the like I said last week, the tactician that knows his numbers and, and is really good with the calculator and, and drawing up blueprints is not the guy for a young team. Mm-hmm. I think this would have worked perfectly in the 2010s when you have all these giant personalities that just we bleed blue and we bleed winning and winning is who I am. And then you can have the scientific nerd in the background like, hey, guys, I think if you guys do this, this is going to work out versus now we're fucking Mason Mound is, is scratching his head. Kai Havertz can't even look up like it's not it's not the same group and, and you can't treat yeah. them like like grown men that will I, take their own responsibility. I also think it's unfair to even compare them to the 2010s because just look at no, no, their no. spine to ours. Like that's that's miles not what I'm miles and miles apart. I feel like I'm not it's putting easy. them in the same I'm not putting them in the same plane. No, I know. I'm saying like we have to realize that we're not we are far from that. And therefore yeah. we need somebody to elevate these babies into believing that they're men. You know, I, I think I think a little bit of it also is like I mean, clearly they're not understanding whatever message Potter's trying to put out. I mean, he's the only manager that I could remember. I, I, I even have a hard time when I'm watching the game trying to figure out what the fuck we're trying to do, what formation we're playing, where guys are supposed to belong. It, it's even difficult for just a casual viewer to just get a good... Uh, I think an interesting conversation to be had is, you know, there's always this argument about this was the big argument about Maurizio Sarri and why the players didn't necessarily like playing for him was because he literally kicked every ball for them. The patterns of play were already drawn out. It's like, okay, if you get the ball in a wide position, this is what you do with it. Do you have options A or B? If you get the ball centrally, you have options A or yeah. B. I feel like Graham Potter is a little bit like that as a manager. I feel like he's very um, particular about the build-up play, about the possession, about different aspects of the game in that way. And maybe that affects world-class players like Joao Felix, like a Mudrik, like a Sterling, um, you know, uh, like an Enzo Fernandez. The guys that can, and those are really the only guys I could think of that could sort of have the ability to pull a rabbit out of the hat, you know, kind of out of nowhere. Like they have that ability to just do something that'll just drop your jaw, individual skill or a dribble or a shot, whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. Maybe they feel a little bit shackled by the way Potter's coaching them. And that's assuming, and and again, this is tongue-in-cheek, but there is some truth to it. That is assuming that Potter's actually coaching these guys. (laughs) Because, I mean, based on on on-field product, it looks like they're going out and training, they're getting their cardio in, and then Potter's just picking the the 11 that will cause him the least headache on Monday morning when he walks back to Cobham, or when he goes back to Cobham. Like, he's literally just picking the team that 
won't bitch about not getting selected, I feel like. And uh, I, and I feel like I, another part of it could be like what I said with the tactical side of things. Maybe, and because we don't know what's going on. We don't know what he's teaching or preaching or any of that. Mm-hmm. But maybe what he's teaching and preaching might be too intricate, too detailed, maybe even too demanding to the players to the point where like, Maybe a guy like Joao Felix is looking at him and saying, wait a second, if I get the ball here, why don't I just turn and run at my guy? Or run straight at my man, instead of dealing with your fucking stupid-ass pattern of play that doesn't even work. I feel like there could be a little bit of that in there. Because our possession does look safe. The, the way we're passing the ball and keeping possession, there's no forward runs there's no off-ball movement there's no um you know pulling players out of position and other players filling in the gaps that that doesn't exist it's completely stagnant and it looks like they're being told exclusively to keep the ball and just control the game and and, See, and, and I, things will come i i disagree because in the first five six games we saw what's like potter ball version a and then he dropped it it was a back four that transformed into a back three and we saw it it was reese james basically being a right wing and then a right wing slash like right mid and then uh on the left side it was kukure as a left center back and then you would have sterling kind of moving we saw the midfielders making runs like we saw what he wanted to do tactically so i don't think he's he's gotten to the sorry level i think that just when shit hits the fan, this is what the team does. This is what they did with Lampard. This is what they did with Tuchel. And this is what they're doing with Potter. They just, they're afraid of, of taking that risk. Like under Lampard, we started seeing that, like what they called it. It was like a circle with just Conte in the middle. And we weren't creating, there was no runs in the box. There was just nothing else because the players were just, the answers weren't there and they didn't know what to do. And they end up just spamming crosses. Under Tuchel, same thing started happening. Now it's happening under Potter. I, I don't think it's that he's over coaching. If anything, I think he took a step back from trying to hammer in what he usually likes to do. Because we used to see a very distinct way of, of how the backline moved and how Kepa even moved to try to help with that build out. And again, I also don't know how it works. And this one also comes down to the owners. We appreciate to an extent how quickly we wanted to do everything. But holy hell, we brought in in January a kid from the Ukraine who didn't know he can't drop the N-word. That's how little English knowledge he really has. Then you have Enzo who doesn't speak English, period. Felix broke in English too. So like, so now the guys that have to start every game or we want to start every game don't understand their manager fully and have to go through a translator. Like, I, I think a lot a lot more goes on to that. I, I don't buy that it's like he's overcoaching it because he was able to make it happen three weeks in. If anything, I think he's gotten his foot off the pedal because, again, I don't think he's a strong enough personality to stick to his guns. That's That's where I'm at. I think that's the disconnect and the part that I blame him in. But... We'll move on to the post-match comments. Um, I'm not going to spit word for word, but essentially it was Potter talking about how he hasn't done enough yet to earn our faith. And the part that really triggered everyone is the fact that he compared the process to the Amazon all or nothing arsenal talk. And then he also is comparing it to what's happening with Klopp's Liverpool today. 
And here's the thing. If you take those things separately and not connect them to Chelsea, what he said was correct. You don't turn on Klopp after a bad run of form because of what he's done at Liverpool. And Arsenal's progression has somehow paid off for Arteta when 90% of his fan base wanted him sacked. Now, do not open up this can of worms where you want to compare yourself to other clubs. And this is where I'm angry with these comments. Because he picked the two that benefited his argument. But Eric Ten Hag is doing just fine at Man United. And he had to kick out of his club the biggest name in world football in the past decade. And he had to take his captain a month in and strip him of, a, of his starting position. And the man has won a cup already. And it wasn't pretty at first, but the players now believed because they got a few results. Now, Marcus Rashford is only second to Erling Holland in terms of threats in front of goal. They got outplayed entirely by Newcastle on Sunday, and they still won 2-0. They beat Barcelona just last week, a, a Barcelona team that everybody is thinking is the greatest thing ever under Xavi now. So... Don't try to play the tit-for-tat, look-at-them-versus-me thing when we all know there's the other side of the coin and we're witnessing it. We, are, we don't, as football fans, aren't blind to what's happening around us. I can argue that the job to, to rebuild United was probably just as hard as, as this one currently. And that's what really got me worked up about that. I'll let you. What, get, what gets me worked up is how we're looking at Arsenal for fucking inspiration. Why do you need to look elsewhere for inspiration as a football manager of Chelsea Football Club? Period. There's, it's inexcusable for me. Just having the managerial post should be enough of a motivation for you to get the players motivated. And if you've really been coaching this long, if you've really been through, what was it, the, the, the ninth division of English football and, you know, this, this perilous journey that, that Potter went through. And again, I'm not mocking it because every manager has their own journey. The guy does have a level of talent, skill, know-how to get to this point. But if you've really done and been through all those things and you claim that you have the experience... Why are you looking elsewhere for inspiration? If you want inspiration, pick up the phone, call Jose. <laughs> call an, another ex-Chelsea manager who fucking gets it. Call, call Frank. Call someone else that actually gets it. Have a conversation with them. Hey, what, what is this about? How do, I, how, do I, how, how do I get the players to get on board with me? How do I get them to run through brick walls? Those, are, those aren't even questions that a, that a manager of Chelsea should even have in the first place. But if push comes to shove and you're actually at that point where, where you need that motivation, look within the club. Why don't you sit the fuck down and have a conversation with John Terry? Why don't you sit down and have a conversation with guys like Frank Lampard, guys like Ashley Cole, who are still involved with the club? They're still in and around the club. It, it's, it's absolutely baffling to me that he's looking elsewhere for motivation. 
and, and, and it's it's adding insult to injury, Andres. We've become the ass of football. The ass of every single football joke that's been made in 2023 has been made about Chelsea. We're dead last in form in the Premier League. We're dead last in goals scored in the Premier League since 2023 started. And we have a manager watching, trying to convince our players for Chelsea to watch an Arsenal documentary to get motivation. You think fucking... Uh, uh, Mikel Arteta's st stick figures and, and, and third grade drawings are going to motivate you to become a better manager? What the fuck do you think is going to happen? You're going to watch Arteta give a halftime speech and you're going to carbon copy it and say it to the Chelsea players next match? Well, if you did watch that documentary, which I'm, I'm, he said he did, it clearly didn't work because we came out in the second half more asleep than we were at any point in the first half, than we were at any point against Southampton. It's getting worse. It's like he's going into the dressing room at, 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 at halftime and handing everybody a melatonin tablet. Hey, chill the fuck out, everybody. Here's some melatonin for you. It, it doesn't make any sense. He should be running into the dressing room. He should be smashing doors in. He should be throwing water bottles. He should be kicking over the, 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 the fucking cart that holds all the kits and dirty socks. He should be cussing players out, calling people out individually, grabbing them by their shirt collars and yelling at them in the face. I, it, 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 it's baffling to me. But, but the most insulting part about it, Andres, is that he has to look elsewhere for that motivation. And the fact that he admitted it in a press conference is pretty fucking damning. Because that I don't means know he, he... he can't... He can't even motivate himself. Well, I don't know if he's saying, like, you have to look at the motivation there. He's just saying, like, the way I read it was that, oh, look at them. They were about to – they weren't playing well, and they stuck it, and now they're, you know, and now they're, they're seeing the fruit of their labor. Like, he can't preach patience is my point, and he should not be preaching patience and using other clubs' situations as a, as a barometer – because, hey, man, we spent a lot more money than Man United and they have a trophy. And we are far from one. Very Arteta, far from one. Arteta took him to an FA Cup final in his uh, first year. Yeah, our, again, before the, the big bad season, yes, Arteta beat us in an FA Cup. Mm -hmm. they, so, he so, beat so Lampard's, again, Lampard's Chelsea. The, and I mentioned this to you um, before we started recording, but I think it's worth bringing up now. With Arteta, yes, you can make you can use him as an example of somebody who okay, he came in, he had a philosophy, he instilled it, he stuck with it. Things got really thick at points, and then things thinned out, and now they look great. But the the my point being, there was progress. Yeah, they started in some... relegation and ended up mid table. There was a climb up. They would and, win, lose, win, lose, 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 win. Exactly. But, but there and was a climb. And they weren't losing in the fashion where we're losing to where we just look flat out hopeless. They're throwing shit at the, at the wall and seeing what's sticking. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. We're literally picking the same teams over and over again. We're picking the same players over and over again. And we're throwing our hands up and saying, I don't really know what the solution is. I don't know what the problem is. Here, here's another thing, and it hasn't been mentioned. But he also complained about the squad size being too big and how hard it is to manage a big squad like that. I don't... I have to calm down a little bit because I don't want to yell, but... 
if you're at Chelsea, period, even during a regular year where we're not going out and buying 10 players and spending 700 million, you're going to have a big squad. You're going to have. No, no, no. I'm not saying you're going to have 33 players, but you're going to have at least 25 or 26 guys that can make a valid argument to be in the team week in and week out. And I'm not talking about starting 11, I'm talking about just the match day squad. So. And, and, and to, to, to add to that, if you're going to complain about the squad size, in your situation, it shouldn't be difficult to trim the fat. You know who wants to be there. You know who's not going to be part of your long-term plans. You already know who the owners have been shopping around, and you're still picking those guys. And then when it doesn't work out and we don't get the results, you have the nerve to come into the press conference and complain about the squad size. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how many players we buy. I've never heard a manager complaining that he had too many players to pick from. Oh, the club bought too many players for me. You're not even using those guys. And you're going to complain about the squad size? You're playing Ziyech doesn't even want to be there. I guarantee you RLC's not here for the long term. We're going to be shopping Kai Havertz this summer. I think Todd Bowley's happy with him. But you're, but you're going to continue selecting them? Over Badiashil, over Fofanas, over Zakarias, over Mudriks, over Madwekes, over Fofanas. It's laughable, dude. It's completely laughable. He's out of his depth. The press conferences now, especially after this one, I'm not even going to listen to them. Because everything that's coming out of his mouth is, sh- is, is bullshit. It's excuses. It's deflections. It's a, a complete uh, lack of self-awareness. He'll, he'll go and, and in one statement say, I accept full responsibility, but then caveat that with, well, my squad is too big. Well, I'm sorry that the owners put faith in you, gave you $12 million a year, which is an $11 million pay bump to what you were getting before per year. And, oh, on top of that, we're going to sprinkle $700 million in transfers on top of it. But, but you can go complain about that. And, and, and put, make that the reason why we're losing to 20th place Southampton and arguably the worst Spurs team I've seen in the last three or four years, at least since Poch. Uh, uh, this is the worst Spurs team since... I went, Andres? I mean, they're pretty fucking bad. They weren't good. Hey, they're in the top four, though. It's, they're bad, it, but they're in the top four. So. This is laughable. It's just it's no, laughable. But- uh, the, the the thing with the squad, here's the thing. Like, sure, complain about the size, but here our squad's still a mess. Like, there's no you you can say like, oh, other oh, squads have 25 players, but there's a clear cut hierarchy. Who's your 11? Who's your core names out of the bench? And then who is first team academy players that are getting a chance to practice? Like, realistically speaking, we don't have that. We have Thiago Silva at the very top. Uh, a healthy Reese James at the next, and then you have a bunch of guys like that are about equal current talent level, regardless of what you think of what they may become two, three, four years down the road. Ziyech and Madueke probably even. We don't see what happens in practice. Bolisic is about to come back. Him, Mudrik, Sterling, as of today, probably all the same. Kai Havertz gets to play. Because Fofana's still learning, and we don't know what's going on with Aubameyang. Felix and Enzo, they just got here. And 
and Fofana has Wesley Fofana has been hurt most of the year. Then you have Body Shield who got here and is now in the team. So it's like 33 dudes and nobody knows who's always going to get selected because they're all in an equal playing field. That's a shit show. You can't divide it into like first team here, second team here, because you know what? You have 10 more dudes who also are like around that level and you need to get them in the field and get them reps. So like I do have a bit of sympathy about that, but like at the end of the day, don't 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 give people reason like if you're gonna talk in the post in the in the presser like i'd rather him stick to his bullshit and, and sophie bikes talks about it the the boys giving everything stuff than than to give someone like you zach who's angry a reason to get angrier about him pointing out how many players he has because because again I'm, the player situation i put that on the on on the the strategy ownership went through i think that's it's, fair. It, it was it was uh it's in again. I think ownership in pay on paper has done the correct things on paper, and I think the execution has been la- like lacking. The reason we signed so many players is because of this amortization strategy they found, and they took advantage before it was too soon. But there is a reason why people usually just buy one player in January, and it's because you can focus on betting in that one player into the toughest league in the in in the world. Now we're betting in Body Ashiel, Mudrik. Madueke, Enzo, Felix, Fofana, just from January, that's six players. That's half of an 11. And, and in those six players, Madueke is the only native English speaker. Enzo doesn't speak English. Felix, broken English. Fofana, broken English. Mudrik, broken English. And Badiashil, very broken English. So, like, I do have a bit of sympathy there. I think the ownership did what they thought was right. But then, like, all right, we got players for, so that we don't have to buy players later. Here you go, figure it out. And and it's a lot harder said harder said than done. Now, Sophie asks, like, if the players are giving everything, like, seems like they're not really giving everything for Potter. Why is that? No, Honestly, I don't have an answer for you, Sophie. Because I, I, it's I don't see it everything. on the pitch. I don't see it on the pitch. And and like we've been discussing, there's a lot of reasons why things aren't clicking. And, and at this point, we got to move on to, to the fa- most favorite question because we got Ron, Sophie, Black Emoji, CFC Ronnie, uh, Tennessee asking what happens next. In their own words, they're all asking about what happens next. We've discussed this multiple times. Uh, the one thing I'm going to add to the equation that we haven't discussed before is that I need to hear from someone we haven't heard from before. I need to hear from Vivell. Boli or Igbali directly out of the horse's mouth. I like because, that. Because at this point, l- telling Matt Law to drop an article about how we have faith in him, not good enough. Reese James, who can be a bit of a bulldog and a fighter on the pitch, is super soft-spoken on interviews. Not very inspiring. Tiago Silva, we don't know how he feels. He extended. He says he's going to be here. He's going to be here Chelsea forever. But then his wife is liking posts on, online about how Potter's a joke. So, like, I need to hear from the top why we're still doing this. Because then you can shift. Again, you are not helping the players or the, or the boss, the manager, by staying quiet at this point. Because that lets us fans know 
that you're doubting your choice. You don't even believe at this point that he may be the guy, but you're in a, between a rock and a hard place. Tell me, Vivelle, that your numbers and your data shows that everything is, is in the background is working. We've just been very unlucky. We are going to stick with Potter. Tell me. Put your fucking chips on the table so that the rest of us can ease off. A little because bit. It, it'll buy them another week. Buy, it'll buy, buy them, them another time, match. Just, just yeah. sometime because it's getting bad on the manager because now every word he says is going to be spun by a different fan, yeah. period. And then the players on top of that, they know that Potter's in the shitter because of them too. So then these young guys that have already alluded to being soft are only going to get more nervous. And then Zach discussed just how we just are so cautious on the field. When Potter first got here, we were taking chances. Pulisic scored goals. Mount scored some goals. Like we were scoring left and right at first and we were having fun. And then when things got bad, it stayed bad. So now you're going to then add the booing and all that. Like, help help a brother out. I'm not saying Potter's the man. I, I'm still very much not happy with what he's doing. But if he's your guy and you're and the rumors are it's not a financial decision, tell us. Stand on we it. Need you made the decision. To, exactly. Yeah. Tell us that this is just growing pains and that the board fully believes that he's still the guy that if the Vell would have been hired in August Potter would have still been chosen and we knew we were going to have teething problems tell us and and make it a freaking statement that's going to tell the fans take a deep breath it's going to be ugly for a little while longer we need to hear it from somebody who is not Potter and who are not the players because they are in the in the hot seat. They are the ones that are yeah. fucking up royally. And 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 silence is right now deafening. The silence from ownership and the directors, because now we have a board and these owners aren't going anywhere. And they promised us a, a project. Now tell me, now that the project has a foundation, that this is part of it. This was a calculated risk. Say it. That's where I'm at about what's next. That's the only thing besides winning, because we need to win. But that's like I said, it's going to have to be a divine intervention for me to believe that that's happening. So what can realistically happen? Boli, here's a microphone. Here's a camera. It can be on your Instagram, bro, but say something. I think um, I agree. I, I think that's important. And I think I think ownership specifically, because I know this isn't on the board. They can't necessarily go out and do whatever they want without the board's uh, green light in terms of coming out and, and, and giving a statement, um, you know, whether it's Vavelle or whoever, or Bowley, I, I don't care. I think something does need to be said, but I think ownership's playing a very dangerous game if they choose not to do so. You know, all you have to do is look at Chelsea's past and see how the sackings of guys like Maurizio Sarri, most recently, um, even if you want to go further back, Rafa Benitez, when things got toxic, the fans ultimately dictated the fate of the manager. It gets to a point where the fan unrest will become so intense that even if the results turn around, they're not pulling for that guy anymore. And, and, and I fall in that boat too. I mean, for me, I need to see one, 
progress. That's the most important thing. I don't care if we win every match, but as long as I can see what we're trying to do and we're playing well, and the ideas are there, you're going to get unlucky from time to time. Shit happens. That's, that's one. But two, you have to inspire the fans. You have to make them believe that, you, that you're on to something. You have to make them want to support you, to give that extra, you know, uh, to give you those extra five or six decibels at the bridge in the last 10 minutes of a 1-1 match on a Wednesday night. Like, that's what helps you get across the line as a manager and also for ownership as well. You know, you just look around England. The Glazers are completely silent. How do their fans feel about them? Under Newcastle's own old ownership, com uh, Mike Ashley, completely silent. How did fans feel about him? You know, they have to look around the league and, and, and see that, you know, different, man uh, different ownership groups have different approaches and some work better than the others. You know, I, and I know this name's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, but Florentino Perez for Real Madrid. The guy goes out and he makes a statement seemingly once a month, it seems like. But the fans are completely on board. They understand what the vision of the club is. They know what steps are next. And there's no surprises. Why do you think teams like that have stability? You got uh, uh, Bayern Munich. They always have somebody making statements about yep. the state of the club. You always know if they're pursuing a forward or if they're going to want to sign a center back. Or um, if, if they're not defending well, they're going to come out and they're going to say, listen, we haven't been defending well the last couple games. Here's why. And here's, here's how we're going to try and fix it. Barcelona had their fans believing in these fucking lovers, like mm -hmm. because the the owners came out and said stuff like that's right now. Just put out, not even put out the whole fire, but take it down a notch with just a public statement. I know, I know, it's not common didn't, in American sports for Liverpool, something like that to happen. Liverpool, but Liverpool's but, owners, who are American, the owner made a video last year. Yeah. I don't remember what the purpose was, but he put himself in front of a camera and 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 talked yeah. about the club. And, and I remember that changed a lot of the perception because Liverpool fans were getting fed up. You use the mm -hmm. Glazers. Right now, the Glazers are getting a pass because Ten Hag fucking is killing it. Well, so. well but, but here's the thing. Ten Hag also... Ten Hag is completely cutthroat, which Graham Potter never is. And, and oh, he's right, right, also... Right. I, he, he's a great political figure for the club, which I think Tommy Tuchel was as well, you know, during the whole, um, um, you know, when Russia invaded Ukraine and Roman yeah. basically had to go radio silent. Tuchel did the best he can to be that political figure. I think Ten Hag is, fills that role of being a really good political figure slash speaker when he's asked the tough questions. But the difference with Potter is like when he's asked those tough questions, he just crumbles under the pressure. And I feel like that's where ownership just kind of needs to identify, okay, listen, let's make your life simpler. Just focus on the on-field product, focus on the tactics and the player selection only, and we'll worry about everything else. We'll put out the statements when results go bad. We'll, yeah. we'll give you our, our, our full undivided attention and backing when we drop three on the spin or four on the spin. We just need to hear something comforting. And right now there's, it, it's, it's, I'm going to use this word, Andres, but like, I d it's cowardly. It is cowardly to just kind of sit in the background in the darkness and not say anything. Yeah, and that's my point. It's right now you have, oh, you can easily scape scapegoat the manager when mm -hmm. you pull the, the plug 
and your hands are clean, but then the players don't learn their lesson. Like, and this is where I get that. Like the little kids get to just misbehave again. Next time the manager, the next time the, the results don't come our way. Like ownership needs to stand up, say that shit ain't changing because we know it's not like obviously, but say it and give me something else to hold on to. Because I, I love Reese James, favorite player, and, and I want to believe what he's saying, that the players are still there, that they fully believe in the manager. But like Sophie said, I don't see it. I don't see these guys fighting. I see the fire other clubs have even when they're down, um, even when they have a new manager. We see that. We, we, we feel it through the television, and at least for us here in the U.S., and and for match-going fans to boo our team, I think that goes a long way to, to, to tell you that we're not seeing it because we're not the type of fans. Even when things were were bad under Lampard or, or even Tuchel, we weren't booing. We could still recognize one or two or three good performances right. in a generally shit performance. Right. So so again, I, I, I need them to step up one way or another because the – the little PR pieces online is, is just not enough. And, and I do agree with you. I think it's very cowardly. Now, I, I want to take in Michael Conan's question here. And I'm going to edit it because Michael, and, and not to, to disc, discredit him, he's very much Potter out at this point. But essentially his question is, <laughs> looking at the least. schedule, yeah, looking at the schedule, do you see us, do you see a win anytime soon? Um, no. Here's the thing. I've joked about it time and time again about how we are in a relegation battle. We are 10 points above relegation and I just want to get to 40 points. But here's the thing. Our schedule ain't getting easier. We have leads this weekend and we all know what happens when you hire a new manager. Leads just did. I don't think Javi Gracia is very inspiring, but it's a new manager. So we know what that means. That's going to be tough. Um, Dortmund, I've already conceded that one. So, okay, that one's not in the league, so we'll, we'll pass. Leicester at Leicester. I don't know. Again, we're not scoring. Maybe let's say that's maybe we're, we're tallied up at two draws. That's two points. Everton at home. Sean Dyche, new manager. That could be a tough one. Let's say we draw that one. We're still at three points. Aston Villa on April Fool's Day. Aston Villa's playing well. They may beat us. Let's say that's a one point. We're still not even close to the 10 points I need. We're going to play Liverpool on April 4th, and they're picking up form. Can't see a win clearly there. April 8th, we go to Wolves. Maybe. Maybe April 8th. I'll, I'll stop there. April 8th is the first realistic win. I see in the schedule based on how we're playing. My optimistic heart says that Leeds is a winnable game, but they're also very hard workers. So my first realistic victory is against Lopetegui's Wolves on April 8th. Um, that is over a month away. That's how I feel right now, Michael. I'm right there with you, man. I don't see there's, I feel stupid because I kind of went into this week towards the end of this past week or Thursday, Friday, not being optimistic, but just kind of being glass half full and saying, okay, you know what? We're going to respond. 
even if we don't pick up the win, we're going to see something. We're yeah. going to see some sign of turning it around. I wasn't expecting going. I wasn't expecting to go in there, nick a one nil, and walk away with three points. I was expecting to go in there, probably lose, but have some kind of performance. Or maybe Joao Felix plays really well, or maybe Mudrik and Chilwell combine, or something. Just something that we can take away. And we didn't get that. And I look ahead now to the Leeds match, and and my viewpoint's a little different. I just. I don't even want to watch. A part of me doesn't even want to watch it. I mean, I'm going to. I'm going to wake up early like a dumbass, like I always do. And I'm going to yeah. watch the game. And I'm going to get the rest of my weekend ruined. That's inevitable. Um, Chelsea's been really good at that lately. But my, my feeling going into this is a lot more downbeat than it was last time. And I think as every match goes on, it's going to continue just plummeting in terms of the confidence that I have in this team. I mean, I, I'm always going to support them. As long as they're wearing the kit, I'm going to hope that they do well. Um, and, you know, I've never been put in a position, especially since we had the podcast, where I'm predicting losses. I'm predicting L's. I'm predicting yeah. defeat for the first time. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and people can get come at us like, oh, you guys are such negative Nancy's. It's like, look, it's, we're just trying to be honest with you. We're down. We're down bad. It's, uh, I, we're not scoring. We're simply not scoring. You need to score to win games. So at this yeah. point, I'm not. I'm not predicting us winning. I'm predicting us drawing. And and you know, he asked, "What's the next time we're going to win?" But it's not going to get easier. Period. Unless we start winning soon, because after that Wolves match I talked about, we still have to play Brighton, who's trying to chase a Europa League spot. Then we got to play United, who is trying to force their way realistically into a title race. Then Brentford, who is looking to fight for a Europa League spot. Arsenal, who is trying to win a league. Bournemouth, who is trying to fight relegation. Forest, who is trying to fight relegation. Man City, who is trying to win a league. And Newcastle, to finish the league, the, the league four. campaign, who is trying to find top four. So, no, there are no easy games left this season. So... Yeah, that ship has sailed. Tuchel wasted all the easy games early on. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. we're forgetting how easy his schedule was. But, the, but we the didn't beginning play of the year is the good easiest. until December. Yeah, he had a healthy squad, and we didn't take advantage. It's yeah. So it's scary. It's scary. It's scary. 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 Um, but let's talk a little bit more about Leeds. Just that match in particular. They're seventeenth in the table, just one point ahead of of the relegation zone. Um, they fired Jesse Marsh. Had an interim manager, I think, for a match or two, and now they have Javi Gracia. Um, Rodrigo is their leading scorer with 10, but he is injured and won't be playing. I don't know much about Javi Gracia's style of play, but knowing that he's fighting a relegation, I'm assuming it's going to be a 4-4-2, some sort of deep block, and try to catch us with speed. So that seems to work against us. Um, I don't have much to say about Leeds because I, I don't think McKinney has as sort of uh, landed and, and kind of hit the ground running. I think Aronson has kind of cooled off as well in the way he was playing at the beginning of the year. Their goal threat's gone. So I'm just going to jump right into my prediction. Nil-nil. 
one point for the Mighty Blues. I was like, oh, everything you're saying sounds like a perfect situation for uh, a two nil or a one nil. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm I'm not. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna predict a goal until I see a score again. At this point, I'm I am not say, predicting a goal. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a draw, and Kai Havertz is gonna have a hat trick of tripping over his own feet. <laughs> Those are the only two guarantees. Oh, man. Oh, oh, and if uh, Thiago Silva is out, which I think he's going to be out he's, for the Leeds match yeah. for sure. He's supposed to be um, protected for Dortmund. We, we, can all, we, we also might have two hat-tricks. We might have Koulibaly with a hat-trick of kicking the ball directly to a Leeds attack. Okay, we can, we, can talk, we can talk lineup. That's something we can actually talk about. I, I, I don't want to close off in, a, in just calling it a draw and, and, and being so downbeat. Uh, we maybe can not say the what lineups we want to see. We think, maybe no, not, the not lineups. what we think he's going to pick, but what we would, yeah, what yeah, we would like we to see to at least make us like believe there's a chance. <laughs> Let's put yeah. it that way. A, a lineup that will give you false hope. Zach, I'll let you start. I'm writing it down really quick. So I have right, Chile I'll, left I'll, back. I'll go. Okay, go for it. I got Chile left back, body of shield, Fofana, center backs, Reese James on the right. I'm going to go Enzo and Zakaria. I'm telling Zakaria to play extremely defensive. That way Enzo can push forward and try to be a little bit more creative to help out Joao Felix, who starts at the 10. I'm going to have uh, Sterling starting as a left winger, and I'm going to have um, Madueke starting as a right winger. And I'm starting either Fofana or Aubameyang. As I pick either one of them every single time over Kata anytime I pick this yeah. team. But if I can pick this team, I mean, yeah, I, Sterling has been really good. I think you know, Mudrik, you can baby him a little bit in terms of kind of betting him into Premier League football. I think Madueke has shown more adaptability, at least, you know, for the immediate. Joao Felix is a shoe-in. But still, no Mason Mount, no RLC, no Kovacic, um, no Koulibaly, and no Havertz. Yeah, I, I like your I like your starting eleven. The only thing I'll add is like if you have to give someone like Felix a break or something, I would try to go for a four triple two and you put Sterling up top with Fofana or Aubameyang and you play mm-hmm. Mudrick on the left, something along those lines. Yeah. Um yeah, I, the 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 names, the clear names I don't want to see we've we've talked about forever. It's it's the Koulibaly, the Ziyech, Mount Kai. They all need to just be off. So yeah, I think that's it. I think that's what we're kind of hoping for. Anything you'd like to close off with, Zach? Potter out. <laughs> no, but it, uh, in all actuality, um, it should be mentioned that, like, regardless of our rhetoric on the podcast or any of that, we're always going to support the team. And as long as they're still wearing the kits, and as long as Grand Potter's still the manager, I'm going to continue hoping that he can turn things around. But it's a different argument as to whether or not that'll actually happen. But I feel like it needs to be said because this was a very depressing pod, and some people are going to get it twisted and think that we're just hating, which we're not. This is constructive criticism about the on-field product only, which is fair. You heard it, guys. We're, we're sad, but as always... Keep the blue flag flying high.